This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. <laughs> when women kill their podcast co-hosts. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I mean, you could kill me so easily. It could be it could be poison in the milk bottle. It could be dismemberment. Oh. It could be whatever. I mean, I in my head, I back over you in my minivan. Mm, OK, yeah. <laughs> as long as I have a nice outfit on, I think uh, I accept. Sure. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer. writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Alia Trabuco Serran. Alia Trabuco Serran was born in Chile in 1983. She was awarded a Fulbright scholarship for a master's in creative writing in Spanish at New York University, where she wrote her debut novel La Resta, or The Remainder. La Resta won the prize for best unpublished literary work awarded by the Consejo Nacional del Libro de Chile and was shortlisted for the Man Booker International in 2019. It has been translated into seven languages. She lives between Santiago and London. Welcome, Alia. Well, hey, Lindsay. Hello, Alex. I'm thrilled to be here uh, with you today. So very happy to talk to you. Welcome, Thank welcome. You. We both really loved When Women Kill. I um, selfishly, I'm a big true crime fan. And, and not that that's what this book is in any way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, along with a large portion of our world, loves loves crime and and um so this was a real treat to read something that sort of picked apart you know these tropes that i encounter again and again and mm. again as i'm you know gorging myself on these stories um and really making me look at at these crimes that women commit and that are committed against women in a whole new way um mm. so really excited to talk to you about the book but first could you please read to us of course. Well, first, thank you for reading the book. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy to discuss it with you. I'm going to be reading uh, from the prologue of When Women Kill, which was uh, translated by Sophie Hughes, uh, who's brilliant. And I always publicly say how much I love her. And the <laughs> prologue is called Outside the Law. So I'm going to read uh, a bit. Women who kill, I reply time and again when people ask me what my book is about. I'm researching cases of women who kill. And each time, as if part of a script, the same scene plays out in front of me. Men and women alike furrow their brows, wins, and then nod their heads in approval of my decision to tackle such a pressing, awful, and all-too-common problem in Latin America. It's my turn, the moment when I must correct their mistake, word by word, and watch as their understanding becomes disapproval and suspicion. Where they should have heard the words, women, killers, a strange mental lapse made them hear the opposite, women who have been killed. Once I got over my surprise at this repeated misunderstanding, it actually helped me to realize something fundamental. It's easier for people to imagine a dead woman than a woman prepared to kill. And it didn't matter if I said murderous women or violent women. By the same slip, more cultural than auditory, the disturbing, the disturbing image of unarmed women was superseded by another inoffensive one, that of a defenseless woman, six feet under, herself murdered or the victim of violence. Women and killer were true antonyms, it seemed, words that when spoken together proved unhearable, unthinkable, either causing selective deafness or conjuring the most terrifying flights of fancy, witches, medea, vampires, femme fatales. Incidentally, this mental sleep doesn't happen when we, when we mention men who kill. The invisible gender laws operate covertly and constantly, guiding the script of violence towards the same ending. When a man kills, he does not cast doubt on his masculinity, irrespective of his motives or victims, his weapons or circumstances. For a man, the possibility of his violent act is always in the air and even helps him 
helps confirm his status as a real man. A woman who kills, on the other hand, is twice outside the law, outside both the codified laws and the cultural laws that define and regulate femininity. And it is this double transgression, this twofold rebellion, that triggers that telling slip of the ear. Writing this book, reassessing these emblematic cases of female killers would mean precisely retraining that ear. Only then can the reverberations of their gunshots be heard. Thank you so much for that, Elia. Um, I wanted to start with the question about structure uh, because it was one of the constant joys of reading this book, going section to section. Uh, the structure is surprising. Um, at times, adds so much terror to the book. Uh, and I wanted to ask if, well, just for the reader quickly, there's four female killers that the book focuses on and each uh, gets her own chapter. And within these chapters uh, are included uh, asides uh, from, from Alia uh, entitled Diary of the Search, which are first person uh, reflections of actually going in and doing the research to to arrive at the meat of the book. And then also one of the sections, which is uh, a fictional section, a diary of the fiction, and the same kind of um, unearthing of process exists there. And I wanted to know if that structure, including the photographs, and then almost, they're not parentheticals, obviously, but they almost have a parenthetical quality, the diary of the search and diary of the fiction. If those entered drafting early on, Alia, or if those came in later? Thank you so much for asking about the structure, which I have to say is usually the first thing I'm obsessed about when I start writing. Um, and it's something that uh, gives me so much joy to think about. Like oh, in, yes. my first, in my first novel, it was two diff very different voices. Um, and in this book, I... At the first few drafts uh, included like the um, narration of the crime, which kind of flirts with the like the um, the chronicle, the red chronicle, how we call it in in Spanish, um, and it included, of course, the reflections, so the essays. And I kept my journal in a different uh, uh, in a different folder, so in a different Word document, because uh, I wasn't sure I would use them really. Mm. Um, and then I, I started working and working on the draft, and I. I decided it was important to incorporate that first person, like mm. to put myself into into the research because it was me uh, doing all of this um, unearthing of of the of the documents and trying to find things and getting weird reactions and um, and I thought it would it might add like a different layer and and when I in incorporated those journals those diaries into the the draft, uh, it gave me so much freedom. It mm. it was like this moment when I realized. Well, this is a hybrid book. Um, I can also write fiction now. <laughs> yes. And that's how I also, um, I hadn't finished the, the fourth uh, the case yet. Um, and I decided uh, that would be uh, something that I could also do. So it is, as, as Alex was saying, a, a book that includes um, many different genres in a way. Um, and it was super fun and very challenging challenging too to to try to put all of this together and for it to work narratively and effectively uh, so um it is for me the question of the structure for me that's the question of writing really mm -hmm. it's the same one mm. what was it about since we're talking about that fictional section what was it about the maria Teresa alfaro story that drove you to write that little um, that fictional segment that leads us, you know, into what, you know, her actual story. Yeah, well, it, uh, it was, it's such a shocking case or for people who are hearing us. Uh, it's, um, it's about a live-in maid uh, who in the 1960s killed uh, the sons and daughters of her employers. And it was this case that when, when I was doing the archival uh, search, it was all over the place, like mm -hmm. literally for weeks, week after week after week after week. And it was really surprising that there was no cultural reverberation. So no play, no short story, um, no song, unlike other cases that were mm -hmm. even less relevant publicly, but they had tons of cultural reverberations. Mm -hmm. And so my question was, 
why this silence? What is it about this woman? Or is it about killing kids? Is it about her being a maid? What is it that she uh, is challenging that uh, the, the Chilean society just got into a mute? Uh, so just it, it left uh, Chile silent. And so I, I asked myself, well, what if I try to do it now, like six, 50 years later, 60 even? And, and it was very challenging. And that's why I kept that journal, the Journal of Affiction, because it is very hard to represent um, a woman who kill, kills children in a mm -hmm. way that's not the typical way, um, as I was describing in the prologue, that would say, well, she was hysterical or just evil or, or, or whatever other a vampire or Medea or whatever mm -hmm. other simplifying version. So it was very challenging. Um, and it was something that, that I just wanted to try out. Centering the dog seems like the only way to quickly humanize her <laughs> because the dog is a way in, you know, obviously not an equivalent to a child, but when I was, you know, I encountered the, obviously I was, I was not familiar with the case. And so I encountered any, any pieces of the case, the, the fiction was the first way I even received it. And so even reading the fiction first and having uh, the dog so centered in the 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 actions the well the later actions it, it was it was it was really interesting later on after finishing the book thinking about how that colored my initial reading mm -hmm. um because after reading the essay it's it's so horrifying it is hard to think about i mean mm -hmm. just the fact that the actual murders are not taking place um by by maria herself you know that that the actual murders are enacted by the mother and the grandmother. It's, it's, it's so horrifying. It's, I mean, even saying it now, I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. That was a tough one. But isn't it, it is funny how one. we, how we like try to understand it. We try to find a reason why. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, we talk about Eileen Warnos in America mm -hmm. and how, mm -hmm. you know, well, she, she did these things cause she had to, or, you know, she was fighting back against a lifetime of abuse. And, mm -hmm. and we try to find these ways to explain it to ourselves because it's, Again, it's something that you hit on again and again in your book. It's it's not quote normal for a woman to do things like this. So why mm -hmm. would a woman who's you know a woman's supposed to be nurturing, warm, loving, um, you know, passive, passive mm -hmm. yeah. isn't someone who enacts these these sorts of terrible heinous crimes? Um, and I, I I wondered if you had a hard time keeping yourself. Um, you know, from trying to find these reasons and trying to find these ways in to empathize and sympathize and explain, well, this is why, and therefore maybe women aren't as bad as men who do this over and over <laughs> again. Um, because I think your, your ultimate aim was to just give them the humanity that all women deserve and not patronizing them to the mm. point of sympathy. Um, mm. So I wondered how you fought against that as you were writing. Well, um, I felt uncomfortable from beginning to end, and mm. I even feel uncomfortable now talking to you. It, it mm. is an uncomfortable topic. It, it is a topic that some people might say, oh, well, she's trying to justify these crimes, or other people saying, well, you see, women kill as much as men, which they don't. Mm -hmm. So um, it is um, it, it is complicated, and as well, you probably have realized, and we all have, we are living through like times where it's hard to get into critical thinking because mm. everything is oversimplified with a tweet or something yes, like that. Yes, absolutely. So it is a, a complicated thing. But for me, writing is only interesting when I'm dealing with uncomfortable issues where there is need to go further and think critically. So when I realized uh, I was interested in this topic, I knew I was getting in, into trouble probably, but at the same time, I knew there was some valuable reflections uh, there that were there. So um, I've, I've become more used to, to being uncomfortable. And as, mm. as you were saying, Lindsay, it's also about uh, trying to find the humanity in in these women and also taking the the, ca the cases and the crimes seriously mm -hmm. because if you say a woman is hysterical or or she's medea uh, or she's just evil um which everything all of that also happened with the case of Eileen Warns that you were mentioning um mm -hmm. then you you're not taking that violence seriously 
And it is relevant to take it seriously uh, culturally. I, I don't think we even take men's violence seriously. We just uh, many times just attribute it naturally to masculinity, which mm-hmm. is absurd. Mm-hmm. So um, so to just um, start deconstructing those uh, those naturalized ways, uh, um, the ways that we build the womenhood and manhood, uh, I think it's it's something that that is not only interesting but it's necessary so mm-hmm. i am willing to to take the uncomfortableness and uh and i i felt it too with my first book and i feel it now with my third book so i guess it's something it's like the angle where i feel it's worth writing mm-hmm. one one thing i loved about the book is you you come away from when women kill with with more questions than answers Mm -hmm. and ultimately it it reminded me of of a line that i use a lot when talking with students about creating fictional characters about how this you know one aim could be to dignify the character in their particularity Mm -hmm. you know in the in the process of creating a fictional character we're talking about creating them but in in the in the case of these women these real women really it seemed like what you were doing was restoring their specificity, restoring their particularity. Despite the crime, if you're just looking at the facts of the case and extrapolating outward and peeling away those titles, as you were mentioning, Alia, um, the, you know, the Medea, the, that kind of easy, quick title or label, it's like, well, no, it was actually this. And that's a lot harder to sit with a lot of these things. Um, it was, it was a, a really impressive goal for any work of writing, and one that I, I'm, sh- I'm curious to hear if you had pushback from editors when it was initially published. If you, from, I want to know how the 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 getting this to publication. How were you? Were there a lot of hurdles you had to clear? Um. It's it's a super interesting question. So um, several answers for it. I'm sorry, it was <laughs> In, rambling. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's it's like the, the, if I had uh, if I encountered difficulties. Um, in Spanish, there were no difficulties. For, for example, with the perspective or for, with the very violent pictures that the that the book includes. Mm. Um, but when the book was published, there was a big pushback from some family members. Mm. Um, of the uh, of the fourth case, the case of the nanny that we were mm. discussing of the of the of Maria Teresa. Alfaro and they were um they are um a relatively powerful family um and politically very active um so they basically trashed the book wherever they could <laughs> which oh. was very very difficult um for me personally of course um and so I included in the second edition because it was it sold out immediately because of this I think um mm. and I included a an, an a new epilogue um discussing how their reaction, which was very violent, also, um, like literally physically. What? Uh, yeah, I they, went they toward went, you. Yeah, they went to my book launch, uh, <gasps> and, oh and they were. It was quite hardcore. Um, what? Especially, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and so, I had this opportunity to to include a reply uh, on on the second edition of the book uh, in Spanish, which I did, and. And I was, it was a chance to discuss again uh, the echoes and why they were so pissed at me. Mm. And the reason why they were so pissed at me is because I said um, in, the, in, in that fourth essay that Maria Teresa Alfaro was pressured to abort, to mm-hmm. do abortions mm-hmm. because she was pregnant uh, several times. And she said during the trial that she was pressured, uh, that, that the employees put pressure on her and she was forced to abort. And well, they were a Catholic family, and so they were supposedly against abortion. And and their mother, um, who was already dead, uh, who is already dead, uh, was a Catholic woman uh, against abortion. So it gave me a chance to say, well, this is Chile's double standard, where some people are forced to abort, uh, and some people do abortions in very private posh clinics, even though it's still terribly illegal here. And and I think the fact that the family were were so upset about me disclosing this fact because it's a fact that she was uh, she was forced to to abort um, that told a lot about 
Chile's double standard and well, mm-hmm. the world's double standards mm-hmm. on this particular topic. So this is a, a particularity in the in the Spanish edition. Um, and then there there was some discussion in in the British edition um, about whether to what to do with the pictures because as as you can remember the second case there are pictures of well a dismembered body mm-hmm. um, so that was also kind of a, a a tricky a tricky subject and I know I know like in the US and in and in less in the UK but there's this whole debate about trigger warnings and whether to include <laughs> these in books. Um, and I was very much against um, doing this. So I, I feared it would go that way, but it didn't. And and it, quite the opposite happened. And actually, the book uh, just won this huge award in, in the UK, the British Academy Nonfiction Prize. And oh, wow. so it was very well received uh, within academia, which was also quite shocking because the book, I, I wrote it as a PhD student, kind of defying all of the academic rules of <laughs> academic writing, wow. including like a fiction book and, and like a fiction story and a journal. So it's been quite a ride, to be honest, um, wow. but it's been okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is so uh, validating, right? Like it is so <laughs> to go out and to be so free. And and like you were talking about with the structure to decide to include your your diary um, and to free yourself to write fiction and then to be rewarded in this way. Yeah, and also um, by an academic institution. Right. I think it was because uh, the, the short story is included in my actual thesis and wow. I had to defend it. Like, why is fiction a valid way of thinking? So these were the kind of questions I was answering in my viva, in my like uh, in my defense of the thesis. Could and, you give us your answer? Well, I uh, I think fiction allows um, you, me in this case, uh, to dive into a topic with a lot more ambiguity than nonfiction, which unearths aspects of a case that you would not necessarily see if only trying to argue things like rationally and not including more emotional aspects or even uh, the, the the corners or the little um, holes where uh, like words just take you like aesthetically. So I think when I decided to write that fiction piece um, for for this case that had had created so much silence in Chilean society, I encountered some some difficult difficulties that made me answer this question more more complex like in a more complex way mm. that I don't think I would have reached if I hadn't tried because this short story took me at least a year to write wow so it was it was very long uh, it was very hard because I I, my, I myself I encountered all over and over again the same traps like the femme fatale or the <laughs> evilness or, so how to how not to trip into those tropes um, was also it, it really made me think hard so I, I really believe that fiction can can be of great a great contribution into critical thinking uh, if we allow it to go wherever it has to go and we don't start putting um, censorship or trigger warnings in everything which is something I'm quite concerned about. Mm. I feel like you saying all of this is opening so many doors <laughs> it's opening so many doors for for future writers or writers who are struggling with these questions themselves. And I really hope it opens doors in, in academia. Well, when I was reading and I heard a, a, quite a few of your post podcasts of this, no. I'm a writing, I'm a writer, but, and the but, um, I've been kind of cheating in academia for ages, like uh, <laughs> saying I'll do something and then doing something completely different. Um, or just, you know, just trying to open up new doors uh, yeah. into a, a space that's quite structured. So um, so when when my supervisor, her name's uh, Claire Lindsay, uh, and and that, that sending love to her as well, <laughs> she when I when we started discussing the structure of this of this thesis, and I was like, well, I feel like including the journals and the diaries, and and how about like including a short story? And she was like, just go for it. And if you if you find the, the like the critical elements to defend your position. Then this will be uh, this will be very good, uh, mm-hmm. and it was hard. Like the, the the day that I had to defend the thesis was not easy, um, but it was 
No, I think it it allows. Uh, to, I don't know. Really, I'm really worried about like academia, academia becoming very bureaucratic and um, mm. and critical thinking just not being there anymore because academics are short are, are forced to just write a, a million papers a year, mm. um, and all those debates that are now written in papers behind paywalls used to be in the newspapers. Mm. So. Uh, it's something that worries me. So when I decided I would do a PhD, I was already obsessed with my PhD being a book um, that anyone could read uh, mm. and not just a specialized audience. I wanted to go back, Alia, and ask about, um, well, I'll start. The um, the photograph of Rosa Fondes, mm. when I turned the page and saw that photograph, I I was reading it very late at night and a chill went down my spine. I was like, oh fucking god. I don't know if I can read this right now. I w- it the it was just so so striking. Um I wanted to know if there is a photograph or maybe there's several like that for you that's in the book. One that particularly has stayed with you. That one, the same one. Oh. Uh, the one that you're mentioning. Um, when I encountered that, you're you're talking about the one that's in the full page, right? Yes, like, uh, yes, yeah. yes. And, and she has her eyes closed. Um, so for me, it was like this picture that that if you described it closely, and I'm I'm looking at it now, and she's like holding like her stomach with one mm-hmm. hand, like as if she was so like fragile. Uh, and she just like killed and dismembered the husband. So it's like a horrifying crime. And then like threw the little pieces of the body into the river and different part of, parts of the of the city. And yet in this picture, like she, I, there's um, a fragility and a vulnerability. And, mm. and, and well, cameras were basically something that she probably had never seen in her life. It's 1923. She was a very poor woman. And all of a sudden, she's in front of this machine that's like take like taking a picture and giving this violent flash, right? Because that's mm. how they used to be. And so, thinking about that that scene again, narratively, going back to the question about what fiction can or can cannot do, um, it's of course my reflection is fictional. I'm just trying to to recreate an imaginary scene where she enters this police station as and is being photographed by this machine that she has never seen. And she's like all like her eyes closed because of the light. And the whole I it just made me feel like she was probably very scared. Oh and God, yeah. and that and that for me kind of changed my first reaction to the pic- picture, which is like she looks like a ghost and very scary. Um so it was like this retelling uh of of a photograph that for me kind of open it it opened up the case for me mm. the line that you include uh it was not possible to obtain a decent photograph mm. is so striking mm. i mean that i feel like if i was writing a novel about it that's what i would open with it's just yeah. so and, oh and the God. next line due to her uncontrollable shakes right mm-hmm. oh. i mean it's like like human beings are very opaque Mm. Um, and you have this woman that just committed this horrible crime and she's there shaking, you know, um, in front of this never seen before camera. So it just opened up the case for me. And as you were saying, like the, rebuilding the subjectivity of these women um, was very hard because it, they were already written. You know, the press had already written several versions of them, calling them well evil and, and all of these. Um, but it was interesting to to challenge that and to see what happens when you go against that current by even rereading a photograph there's something about um what she did which she did not you know when no one was looking and then her being looked at is you know like there's Mm. that line that you found what is wrong with you all she says have Mm. you never seen a woman before Mm. there's something violent and being looked at for her and i think that not to oversimplify, but that can be true for a lot of women, um, you know, being looked at, being um, stared at, gazed at, you know, um, I don't know, there's, there's, it felt like 
in in all three pictures of her she's very different mm. um and 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 it's hard to it's hard to see her it's for me it's hard to to get a purchase on what her face actually looks like mm. um, and but i keep looking and i think that can be ex- incredibly uncomfortable mm. it wasn't no, I, uncomfortable for her to kill and dismember her husband because she was sort of doing hard work that she was used to doing, right? She was mm. used to being a very hard worker, but mm. the the being stared at and trying mm. to, you know, people trying to figure you out and understand you feels terrifying. It I, I, it's a beautiful reading, what you're saying. I mean, I think you're right, but there was, and, and it's the same, like when, when she said that uh, to people, like, have you never seen a woman before? And also the fact that she was shaking, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I guess she was an invisible woman, like uh, selling newspapers, uh, very poor. Um, well, and she was she was even not considered a woman because of the crime she committed. Mm-hmm. Nobody believed her. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, so I think yeah, it's like this violence uh, never been being looked at before, and all of a sudden being looked gazed at and mm-hmm. scrutinized uh, mm-hmm. in a way that, as you're saying. Um, as women suffer quite a bit, uh, many of those cases throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. The detail about Rosa picking up, look, searching for the heaviest police officer in the oh, room yes. and then picking him <laughs> up. Oh my God. I mean, some of the, 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 that, the, this case in particular, I don't think it, I think the, the, the last case will stay with me the most, mm. but the Rosa case Oh my goodness. I just, that's when I, I feel like I will return to again, because it is like Lindsay said, I really had a similar experience. It was hard to see her and the deep, so many of the details were so striking that it was, you did want to continue to look, you did want to continue to search for her. It's a case. I think it, it, it's a case that was also, it's remembered uh, still today in Chile because it was made into a very, very historically and culturally relevant play in mm. the 1990s in Chile, which was replayed in the in the theaters in the 2000s. And I think it's going to be replayed very soon. Oh, so wow. it, it was um, kind of in the cultural imagination of, of part of this country. Uh, and yet um, it was looking at, at, at those images and the, at the, at the, how the story was told that really kind of made me see another woman and then another woman and that because you never really know who you're talking about I don't mm. think in any of the cases it's like oh yeah that's her and then it's like mm. Mm, not really and then it's it's like there there's a fast phantasmagoric aspect uh in into all of them because it's not hard to pinpoint like one cause for these crimes because it's they're really it's complicated mm-hmm. um so so what i was trying to do with this book is also was also well let's delve into this complication and mm-hmm. and well hopefully like you guys you'll come out of the reading with more questions than answers and hopefully then you'll encounter another crime committed by a woman and then it will be sensation- sensationalized by the television or the media and maybe you'll have a different view mm-hmm. um which mm-hmm. would be well fantastic <laughs> but uh, um but yeah it's um i i i feel strangely like a, a mixture of like i don't know them at all and i really got to uh, to to something you know uh, and and i'm not i'm not even sure <laughs> isn't that the ultimate goal though i, I mean to, to sort of say, ah, yes, I understand them now. I, I get it. It's sort of an owning an ownership that you are saying we don't, we shouldn't be taking right. Anyway, it, it, we should be accepting that taking these things seriously, but never sort of um, <laughs> insulting them by explaining them. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're saying it much, much better. Totally. Um, and with the case of the writer, Maria Carolina Gil is just for me. So obvious that he was also trying to avoid at all costs uh being put into a box mm-hmm. um which she was obviously in the end um but uh for me the goal was well let's try to take her out of the box and 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 see what we find then that case fascinated me i'm glad that you brought that up because um 
again, human nature. I want to know why she did what she did. And there's no answer. She didn't have an answer. Um, the, the mirroring of the other, I'm forgetting right. the other name, the writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Maria it, Carolina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carolina yes. Yeah. The, the mirroring of, of the, yeah, the, the attempted murder from, was it, was it like a decade before or? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. wild. I like mean, that quote. was. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. For me, that's the closest that I got to a reason um, because she really, really, really admired um, the other writer and mm. she had almost killed her lover uh, 10 years before in the same hotel. Um, <laughs> Just... so, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a, a, a different sort of yeah quote. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult coming out of writing this book and going, uh, well, actually, I don't know. I'm making assumptions here. Is, is the project you're working on right now fiction or nonfiction? Well, here's where I disclose um, how much this book, When Women Kill, uh, was relevant for me. When I wrote that short story we were talking about um, with the dog and all of that, um, I wrote uh, not 10 pages, but 150 um and um then it became 10 pages but the 140 pages that were left were haunting me um and i i kept on working on them i i threw them away and started again um and that became a novel um and it's it's it was published in in spanish um two months ago it's amazing wow yeah it's called limpia so it's clean and it's um a monologue of a living cleaning lady but in contemporary chile with no crime um and so that's it's that it, i i kind of got very far away from the topic of murder um but was really obsessed about the daily routine the loneliness the kind of contemporary form of slavery that a live in made is in latin america mm-hmm. um and 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 that subjectivity and the contradictions of of suspending her own life for the life and the life project and the happiness of of a, a contemporary family was something that obsessed me so so yeah it, it it was published already in spanish and it will be published in in the us by R- riverhead Oh um, wow! Oh, that's huge. Yeah, oh yeah I know. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, Riverhead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really amazing and, and a very big surprise. It will be. It's also being translated by Sophie um, Hughes, and it oh. will be published uh, next year, twenty twenty four. Congratulations! Um, but, amazing. But yeah, it was it was something like this. I like the. Um, the process of writing when women kill i think influenced me a lot um and and changed the the book that i was going to work on and started that just working on that novel because i could not stop hearing her voice mm-hmm. um it was haunting me it was really haunting me um, and it took me like two years to realize okay yeah i am writing a novel i can't believe it but <laughs> i am like okay wow. i'll just try to finish it and it was like a four-year process um and now it's over and done with finally (laughs) (laughs) now you can write the novel about how she and her former employer lived down the block from each other right i know oh my god that is insane yeah i know um it is insane and she worked outside i mean because then you think i mean there was the there was very pointedly there was a sentence that's you know said that she was working outside or whatever in outdoor outdoor market right and yeah it's like thinking about okay we're talking about a couple blocks here (laughs) there's gonna be there's gonna be at least passing glances there's going to be whatever i mean that was yeah i still wonder like with that case because the the novel I wrote uh, is is different to very different to the mm-hmm. cases. Uh, it, it 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 has few common elements, but I still wonder about that that case. If mm-hmm. there's something that I that I didn't find, mm-hmm. um, and that I don't know, uh, and that I will someday find out. Because mm-hmm. like I still like not with the other three, but with with the fourth. Um, uh, yeah, I feel there 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 might be something I missed or I just or that the family is hiding or something. Mm. I'm not sure. It's just uh, that I find it really weird. Like, how could they possibly live three blocks from each other? Mm-hmm. 
Like it, it was I don't almost know. like it's just she radical. was. A, it was almost like she was a like an actual family member hmm. in a way because it seems like the connection. If you're that unwilling to sever the connection after that act, it it almost it it feels familial in a different. I don't know. It was. I mean, they did sever the connection. They there was no connection at all. But still, right. they, they must have seen each other. It's mm-hmm. like a sure. tiny little place. It's not sure, like sure. they were in New York and and or in yeah. It was not like a big city. Right, so, right. Yeah, I just wonder. Wow, amazing. Well. uh Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. This was a true pleasure. This is the first episode we've done in months and months, and Mm -hmm. it was fun to really look forward to this one. And uh, we hope everyone goes out and gets the book, uh, When Women Kill. Pick it up. It's unbelievable. It's on Coffee House in America. Yeah, well, it, it's it's been a pleasure really uh, to to discuss the book with you. Uh, I love the podcast, so I'm, I'm oh, happy that uh, we've re-inaugurated another season uh, of hopefully many <laughs> yes! many programs to come. So thank you so much for reading uh, my book and and for preparing such fantastic comments and questions. It's been uh, a pleasure, really. Likewise. Thank you. That was so fun. That was a blast. Uh, I mean, just on a basic level, it's so special that we're just, we're talking to a Chilean writer. (laughs) We have, we don't know this person. We read her amazing work and we get to connect like that. I mean, having a podcast is a nightmare, but (laughs) that, that was beautiful. That's beautiful. That's why we write. That's why we read. That is special. I always think I'm dragging Alex along. He's being tortured. And then I get an email where he's like, I want to talk to this person. I want to talk to this person. Can I, can I book this person? Can I book that person? So, you know, it's. <laughs> I'm Listen, listen, listen. You know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm both things are true. It's like when women kill, right? It's like, you know, I'm returning myself. I, I'm complicating oh, myself and I'm right. just giving you the full picture here. All right. Oh, I know. <laughs> When women kill their podcast co-hosts. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I mean, you could kill me so easily. It could be it could be poison in the milk bottle. It could be dismemberment. It could be whatever. I mean. I in my head, I back over you in my minivan. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I have a nice outfit on, I think uh I accept, sure. Okay. I'll make sure you're wearing your best shorts. Thank you. I'm in shorts size. right now. Thank yes. you. Yes, Thank See, you. I know you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't talked to each other in a long time. Numbers um, blocked. Yes, as it should be. <laughs> as it should be. We hate each other. <laughs> Only the friends who love each other the most could admit that they hate each other. I agree. We hate each other. It's okay. Whatever. Um, Moving on. No, I really do love you. Um, I love you too. Come on. But it's okay if you hate me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've just been living our lives uh yeah. my family's been deathly ill you've been good yeah been okay fine. Mm-hmm. and um i'm trying to think of like any books i read that i want to talk about <laughs> it's all a wash mm-hmm. all i can think about is white lotus which we finally watched what yeah, i haven't like? watched it yet i've heard it's excellent it, i, I liked it even it better yet. than the set than the first season mm-hmm. it was so good and um Right now I'm reading um, Vivi Ganeshan Anthem's book, which we're mm-hmm. we're talking to her next week. Brotherless Sugi. Night, Sugi. We can just call her Sugi for what quick. Up, Sugi? We're talking to her next week, and it's excellent. It is a freaking page turner. I'm so excited to read it. Even though it's filled with devastating, horrifying war and violence. <laughs> um, yeah. So very much enjoying that white lotus mm-hmm. gonna watch the menu tonight not on Hulu. oh yeah not on wow i know going off menu <laughs> for the menu it's hbo for 2023 baby wow did you guys get a deal you know what ben changes our cable package weekly i have no idea what we have right now sometimes That's... there's like a fire device on the fireplace mantle and i'm like okay so we have fire now and he's like yeah yeah i got i, I saved 10 bucks and then that device goes away <laughs> And oh, I just God. use the other remote. I don't know. He's 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 obsessive. Jeez. But that's it. 
I there's yeah, that's it. That's all we got. I mean, I can't think of anything I have to update anyone on. Why would anyone care? Uh, let's see. I've I've been buying toys on eBay. Why? Um, For your kids? Oh no 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 no. Oh. <laughs> okay. Why would I ask that? What's wrong with me? Are you familiar with um starting lineup? Of course. What are you figurines? talking about? Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Ben has some of those. Well, there you go. So I, I, uh, I, I think this is what I replaced drinking with. I haven't been drinking. I've just been buying these toys, like every Rockies starting lineup that ever existed, and every Colorado Avalanche one that ever existed. I'm missing one. Mm. I. Uh, Who is it? <laughs> okay, everybody, write this down. If you see this, you're gonna buy this for <laughs> That's me. That's what I'm saying. Maybe someone out there has it. We're looking for the 1996 Patrick Waugh without a beard. Okay, okay. we already have Major. the beard. Major. No beard, sans beard. So if you if you pick that up, send it my way. I will. I, okay, I'm gonna ask Ben too because he he might, you know, there's toys at his mom's house. You know, so it's like we'll you, you gotta. You just you have to. You can't just like uh, stop one thing without replacing it with another. So just oh, toys, totally. just just they came in. Yeah. Like I started drinking. I, um, I used to be really good about drinking like smoothies for lunch that Mm -hmm. would have like a lot of greens in them and protein Mm -hmm. and stuff. Did it make you feel good? It made me feel so good. And also just made me feel like, okay, I'm getting in like the nutrients I need to get in. Did you have to rip farts though? Oh God. The farts are insane. Like what is up with those protein shakes? It's like, like, so if I use frozen spinach, then it's better. Mm -hmm. But if I use fresh spinach, Mm -hmm just watch out forget it right forget it um but then i just took to like just eating whatever was in sight and then just because i like i would have to make cooking for my children has really made me want to be dead rather than (laughs) cooking something for myself you know oh definitely i'm like i have to prepare all their shit and then i have to come back and make something for myself i'll just eat i don't know 12 slices of bread because it's right there i don't know that's how i feel yeah, and 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 also it's like a like a a rage response too, you know, like shoveling things in. My thing is I can't, so I'll make their food. All right, guys, lunch is ready. They're at the table. It's painful for me to get to like go back to the like area of the kitchen where I'm actually doing the cooking, make something for myself, and then come back and mm-hmm. sit down. Mm-hmm. So I will just like stand up and eat something because mm-hmm. I'm like. It's just like too much. It's like I did this, now I did this, now I gotta clean it up. It's like no, forget. Yeah, it. and it's like constant. Like they're not. It's not like for my kids. It's not like okay, I gave you the thing. Now you're just gonna like shut up and eat. It's like constant. Like mama, you know, like oh yeah, no, give me a break. I just want twenty seconds in the kitchen where I'm not preparing a thing or being or hearing my name. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I I have like a very um, disordered eating situation right now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so i have to replace that with the smoothies but so i've been doing that mm-hmm. and um for some reason the pro- the trader joe's protein powder makes my smoothies explode like i'll make one smoothie and it turns into like three smoothies so i have so i've just been drinking out of that for the past three days <laughs> <laughs> but so then what i replace my disordered eating with is disordered internet huh you know there's never just like okay i've cleared my brain now i can just have yeah. a clear brain it's it's like it's like you're saying. Yeah, you have to. Now I have to have this other thing. Totally. I. That's such. It's such a real. It's like a bodily need. It's not even. I mean, it is mental, of course, but it feels. It feels even. It's just so subconscious, so essentialized. Like one thing goes away, must be replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Did you make a New Year's resolution? You know what? I didn't. I'm not like a hater on them. I think that they can be awesome. I just, I didn't. Uh, did you? I don't like the big one, big talk ones that you know you're not going to mm-hmm. do. So yeah. I like, I usually don't, but this year I was like, oh, you know, I think my resolution would be, I'm going to, the first thing I'm going to do when I wake up in the morning is drink a glass of water. Uh-huh. So fucking easy. I have failed. <laughs> <laughs> well do you have to go okay so like do you sleep upstairs i sleep upstairs okay so do you have to 
are you like in your ideal situation? Is this like walking into the bathroom and filling it up there or no, walking like, downstairs? Just, and yeah. Like that? going into okay. the kitchen, getting a glass of water. And that's a lot of movement before the, the yes, act. You're right. I know, but I don't want to put it next to my bed because then dust it's will old fall water. into it. Sure, yeah, it's old water. Man. Yeah. I've, I finally got to it on like the fifth mm-hmm. and ever since then it's been water baby. But, um, it's just funny to me that even like something simple like that, I can't hold myself to. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not good at, I'm not good at things like that. If I set a goal, I like announcing it. If I announce it, I just won't do it. I'll just be like, totally. It's like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I'm not going to do this stupid thing. I think that the reason that it was related to what we were talking about is that sometimes when I think I'm hungry, I'm actually thirsty. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll just get my, I'll like start training myself to drink more water. Well, don't you, I mean, you, you are a person who works out a lot. Do you not drink a ton of water when you're working out? I do. But what I'm bad about is um, drinking water before, you know, you're Ah. supposed to like hydrate before. Yeah. So I'm trying to do that and I'm trying, I don't don't know, you know, it's just like the doldrums in Chicago. So you're just like, I don't know. I need a little success. Are you a winter (laughs) hater? I have a hard time in the winter. I growing up in Florida, you know, Sure. I really miss the sun. I, I it's not I the cold, winter. it's the darkness. Yeah, I people yeah, I I think that is obviously legit. I love yeah. winter though. I just prefer winter clothes and I prefer I love snow. I But you love shorts. Yeah, but yeah, I know. We should have called the, this podcast We Love Shorts. We do we love shorts. Do. It's I mean, for me the the ideal outfit is long sleeves on top shorts on bottom that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty chill i'm into I that i love it, it makes yeah. me happy like a sweatshirt it could be a sweatshirt it could be it could have a collar mm. it doesn't matter i'm not picky collar and shorts yeah because you know you need you need the freedom oh absolutely you gotta be you gotta be you um, i'm trying to love winter i'm trying like we got sleds that was good also winter makes spring and summer better that's true. The, that is un. You can't argue that with me. I'm no, not saying that you are, but I'm right. just saying like you. This I feel like the seasons are so special. It's like it makes you value things, and it's there's like that, there's that day like in mid-April where mm-hmm. suddenly like the air is different. Yeah, mid-April, like, like the 16th. The light is different, and you can breathe. Yeah, and you're like, oh my god, okay, yeah, it's amazing, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's great. Yeah, you're I right. Yep. Um, All right. I think so. What we got another one. We're going. God, if you made it this far, what the fuck is wrong with you? But um, they love us. Me too. But uh, if you are here, we are going to an every other week schedule after January. After January, but that's going to be loose. Sometimes it may be be two weeks. Sometimes it may be a month. It doesn't matter. Uh, So if you're here congratulations and seek help (laughs) we're happy you're here oh absolutely and and we hope you're wearing shorts yes that too all right all right bye bye i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements editing by Lindsay hunter music by max loop yeah yeah